is so true. We believe in you, Jesus. You can have a seat. That'd be wonderful. All right. So it's summertime, right? It's pretty warm out there. We've all gotten to experience some of that heat, I'm sure. Uh, and so it's nice and cool in here, right? No better place to be on a Sunday to be able to celebrate together, to be cool, and then uh, allow the spirit to warm things up in our hearts, right? Warm up our hearts today as we're together. So we're in this series, The Apostle Creed, and as I said last week, The Apostle's Creed was written for two purposes. Uh, One, it was written to correct error, and uh, part of that means that it was meant to keep the church on track, to correct error, keep the church on track, and the other reason it was written was to form the people of God, to form them, to teach them what they believe the truth, so that they could be formed as uh, fully connected to God followers of Jesus, so they would know everything that they needed to know, and then that they would stand firm. It was to give them confidence, that they could stand confidence on what they knew to be true. It was written to help the people of God know how to relate to God, how to know his purposes in the world, and to give them clarity about the truth that God wanted them to know. The truth about life, the truth about how life works, and it was also given to give them a sense of community. As they read it, they quoted it out loud together. So it was community in their local church and community with other folks in their community, but also further than my little world in my church and even our local community, but it was uh, all throughout the globe as it came to be for others that came to know Jesus. So it connected us globally together. There's just something wonderful about that. And I, I just love that, you know, as Annalise was saying that her family is going to South Africa, we're going to be connected to South Africa, right? Just through what they're taking from here in our church and what they're going to be able to do there. I'm just really excited about that. So I'm going to ask if you would to open your Bible to Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 26 here in just a few moments. You can also grab your message notes. Uh, look kind of like this, and you can pull them out. You can follow along. I'll have all the Bible verses I'll be looking at there. Uh, as well as give you an opportunity to take some notes and uh, maybe some things that will help you remember the things that we talked about today. So I just want to draw your attention to the top of your notes. And so this is a section of the creed that we're looking at today. Uh, And so what I want to do is I'd love to be able to read that out loud together. So Melissa, if you could pop that up for us, that'd be wonderful. So if you would just join me, let's read it out loud together. Ready, go. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Words we've all heard, right? We've all heard these words, but you know what can happen so many times is that when we hear words, as we talk about, you know, and quite often when it comes to spiritual things, it can actually become kind of like the pledge allegiance factor, right? You know, something you say over and over again so many times that you actually lose the meaning. You may have had meaning at some point, but now it's kind of lost meaning, or you never knew what it meant. Well, today, what I want to hope to do is clear up some of that, help us to know what this means, and then what it means for us as well. So when we talk about this whole idea of conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, what we're going to look at today is it's, uh, the doctrine is called the incarnation. So that's why we called it today that we believe in the incarnation. That's the doctrine that we want to talk about today. And the doctrine of the incarnation is best summed up in the verse that's next on your notes from John chapter 1, verse 14. And it says this, the word became human and made his home among us. So the word, that's Jesus, 
So we're going to see later that's God became human and he came and made his home among us. He pitched his tent among us. He dwelt among us. He came into the neighborhood. He joined us. So we're going to consider that uh, and what that means. And then, as I said, what it means to us today as we look through this. So just a reminder, uh, we talked about this last week. If you weren't here, awesome. But uh, the creed is 110 words long, and 70 of them are about Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the central figure of the creed. And so last week we started and we talked about, we took this panoramic view of Jesus last week as we looked at the statement uh, was talked about that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, was a panoramic view of who Jesus. So Jesus is Savior. That's what his name means, Savior. Jesus is the God who saves. So he came to save his people from their sins. And Jesus is the Christ. Christ was the, uh, it was a role. It wasn't his last name. It was the Christ. And it was a role or office that he was anointed to fulfill. Said that he was the prophet. He came to speak to the people for God. Uh, that he was the priest, he came to speak to God for the people and a sacrifice for them. And then he was the king, he was the one who would reign eternally, and we could trust his rule. And he is our Lord. We've considered what it means to surrender him as Lord. So with that declaration of who Jesus is, now the rest of the section of the creed that, that talks about Jesus is going to say, okay, well, here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus does. Here's how, what, how you can know Jesus better. With that kind of panoramic view, we're going to dig in to some truth about Jesus. So as we read these verses in just a minute, it's going to feel a little bit like Christmas here this morning. And I thought that was you know, appropriate since it's so hot outside that maybe as even if we read some of these verses in just a moment, it'll, you'll just reflect back to the Christmas season and all the rain we got and how cool it was and how much you complained about the rain and the coolness then. Oh, I can't understand why, uh, but then we're going to read this and read these verses. And so once again, these verses, because you've heard them read so many times at the Christmas season during Advent, they can, you, know, you can hear them again and you can say, I've heard these before. And so you may be saying, I'll cheat right now and I'll pretend I'm reading off my phone, but I'm really texting, you know, something like that. I just want to encourage you to listen with fresh eyes, okay? Just listen with fresh eyes as we go through this about what God wants to say to you, as I'm asking him to say to me as we read these verses from the Christmas story. Here we go. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin, you might underline, a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. Underline that, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. Now, you know, remember how you read the Bible so many times and you think, wow, that was pretty understated. <laughs> well, this is another one of those understated moments. And you could read that going, confused and disturbed. Or you can go, confused and disturbed deeply. She's, you know, because this is not something that happens every day. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found, underline this, favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. Underline that. I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will 
overshadow you. Underline that, overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. For the word of God will never fail. Don't you love that? The word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Uh, there's so much in these verses. Uh, I was just actually was praying with somebody before you know, the service started, and I said, here's my dilemma today. I've read so much this week. I have so much packed into my head, that, and there's no way I can even begin to do all that I would want to do in probably 15 messages, let alone one. So my prayer today is that I will, I will stay to the, my notes, and I won't get distracted with other stuff that's roaming around in my head, you know, the, for all the things that we looked at this, that I looked at this week. So I'll just say it this way, and we need to hear it. The doctrine of the virgin birth is essential to our Christian faith. The doctrine of the virgin birth is essential to our Christian faith and our understanding of the incarnation of Jesus coming into our world. Now, don't just take my word for that. Uh, I'll just have some words here by a guy named Christopher Hitchens. A few years ago, uh, Hitchens wrote a book. He was a leader in the New Atheist Movement, so he's an atheist. And he wrote a famous book called God is Not Great, kind of just you know, defending his position. He, well, he was interviewed by a, man named, a woman named Marilyn Sewell of Portland Monthly Magazine. And as she was asking him, she was talking about his atheist commitments. And so she divulged that she was a Christian. And then she said this. She said something like this. She said, you know, I consider myself a Christian, but I don't believe a lot of the historic things that people seem to believe about Jesus, like the virgin birth, the resurrection, and the miracles. Well, Hitchens said this. This is an atheist, okay? He said this. Well, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and the Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not, in meaning, any meaningful sense, a Christian. He understood the Christian faith. He just didn't believe. What he was saying to her is, you don't understand the Christian faith, so how can you believe? How can you believe? How can you say that and deny the truth of the Christian faith? So as we come to the virgin birth today and we talk about this, I just want to say that if you don't believe this to be true, then I'll just agree with Hitchens. You are not in any meaningful sense a follower of Jesus. Because this is essential to our faith. It's essential to our being confident and be able to stand strong. And as we we're talking about, the reason we're doing this series is so that we can understand what we believe. And in the wave of culture that continues to come at us, that we can have a strong place to stand. And as we stand, we can be the hope that our culture needs. But if you don't have a strong place to stand because you've not agreed to it, then you're going to be just pushed aside, pushed away. Everything that comes, just, oh, I could believe this. Well, I could believe that. I could believe that. Because But we have to come to this place where we say, I'm going to believe in this truth, and I'm going to stand confident in that, and I can actually be the hope that I need and my culture needs as well. So I believe that as we look at the reality that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born from a virgin, that that's going to give us confidence. Maybe some of you may be confidence for the first time. Some of you guys are going to rattle you as we talk about this because you, you're saying, I really didn't think the virgin birth was important. Or I'm not sure I could even believe that. It's going to rattle you. 
We're just asking God to speak his truth to us. So I just want to ask three questions. Why is the uh, three questions here about the virgin birth? Why is it so important? Well, first, you might want to write this down. It fulfills biblical prophecy. So it fulfills biblical prophecy. So the virgin birth reinforces biblical authority. That I'm going to look to the Bible as my authority, as my source of truth. So I wish I would have had time to read the, uh, the story when the angel came to Joseph. It's in Matthew chapter 1, if you want to read this. And uh, you can read it there as well. But in that one, Matthew is talking, the angel's talking, and then it actually refers to a biblical prophecy from Isaiah 7.14. In Isaiah 7.14, that the virgin birth was actually predicted 700 years before the birth of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah was speaking to King Ahaz. And uh, they were just in deep weeds. Nothing was going good for the nation of Israel at this time, nothing at all. And so the prophet came to give a word of hope, and the word of hope is Isaiah 7, 14. It's not in your notes anywhere, but it says this, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years before the angel now comes and says the same words to Joseph. Folks, the virgin birth is essential to believe as followers of Jesus because it's part of the Bible prophecy. I can't deny that and say that I believe the Bible. I have to agree to this because it's in the Bible, it's prophesied, and then it actually comes true. And what I see is it was part of God's plan to redeem his people from their sins, and it's a central part of the biblical record about Jesus. So one of my favorite biblical scholars, way over my head, and I studied him in seminary, Millard Erickson said this. He says, if we did not hold to the virgin birth, despite the fact that the Bible asserts it, then we have compromised the authority of the Bible. And there is no reason why we should hold to any other of its teachings. So you see why it's so important that we believe the virgin birth and why it Satan pushes so hard against followers of Jesus about this whole concept of the virgin birth because without the virgin birth, then the Bible loses its authority, its position over me. So we can believe in the, Bible, in the virgin birth because of Bible, biblical prophecy. Second is this. It follows historical tradition. So we didn't just dream this up. You know, It wasn't like in the 20th century or the 19th century that it was dreamed up. We go all the way back to... The apostles, we go all back to the times of Jesus, and we realize that early Christians held to this concept, this belief, this doctrine of the virgin birth, and the reason we're studying the Apostles' Creed, because the Apostles' Creed was written so that we would all know the truth that we believe, the Apostles' Creed doesn't cover everything, but what is in the Apostles' Creed is actually true, and so we could recite this Apostles' Creed, and we've recited throughout history, is, you know, a thing is, as fast as things change, we have something that never changes. And we can hold on to it and say, because of history, I can affirm this to be true. I can hold on to this because of tradition. And then number three, it foretells personal salvation. It talks about the plan of God's salvation. Talking about the virgin birth here. So biblical scholar, Carl Henry, this is what he had to say. He says, the virgin birth is the essential 
historical indication of the incarnation. So it's the core. Bearing not only an analogy to the divine and human natures of the incarnate, but also bringing out the nature, purpose, and bearing of this work of God to salvation. So it teaches us the truth about salvation, which we're going to look at in just a little while. See, the virgin birth matters because it plainly tells us who Jesus is, and it lays the foundation for his great work and what he would accomplish on the cross for our sins. Okay, so turn your notes over, and let's talk about this idea of the incarnation and understanding it. So we've referred to this, inferred this, we've actually stated this. I just want us to write it down so we can know it clearly what the virgin birth means and what the incarnation means as I look at this. And the first is this. It means three things are true. The first one is that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. So right away, this distinguishes from most other world religions. Uh, that It distinguishes it to say that Jesus is fully God. Many religions today, cults that we would study, don't believe that Jesus was actually God. All kinds of other definitions of Jesus, prophet, teacher, even redeemer, but he wasn't God. And so we realize that the Bible teaches us that the incarnation is Jesus is fully God. Now, there are lots of verses that we could have pulled. The one I read to you from Colossians 2 just a moment ago, Colossians 2, 9, if you want to write that down. John 17, John 1, many of these sections of the Bible talk about the idea of the incarnation. And but last week, I talked to you about this whole idea of what the power of the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, there's a verse I put on your notes I want to read that really talks about Jesus being God. And it says this, Hebrews 1, verse 3. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his hand. So he's saying the Son is God. He has all power. He's equal, and, I, and, and he expresses the character of God because he and God are one, and he expresses God's glory. The only one who can express God's glory is Jesus, God himself. So Christianity is about God coming into our story, coming into our story, writing himself into our story in physical time and physical space. God's not part of time or space, but he entered into a moment when he became part of time and space. It's about him taking on human flesh. And that's the second thing, is that it means that Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully human. So Jesus is fully God first. Jesus is fully human second. Once again, from Hebrews. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood... The Son also became flesh and blood. So Jesus became human, flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So he had to come, as we're going to look at in just a little bit more clearly, as God, as God, then he was perfect, and his sacrifice would be the perfect sacrifice to pay for all the sins of all mankind, but he also had to be human, like, so that as he was human, he paid the, the sins for humanity. Because out of his humanity, he became the perfect sacrifice. So these two key, these, these are all part of God's plan of salvation. 
in order for human beings who are born into sin and born separated from God to be in relationship with God, it required a perfect, sinless sacrifice. And Jesus sent God. God became flesh as that sacrifice for us. So in our salvation, it requires God to be fully God, and Jesus to be fully God and fully human. And that's why the, the virgin birth is so key for us to understand. We need a rescuer, and Jesus came to be the one who would save us. So Jesus had every aspect of our humanity except one. What was the one thing he didn't do that we do? He didn't sin. Every aspect except the one he didn't sin. Therefore, when Jesus went to the cross... He could take his divine humanity to the cross and where he would die a sacrificial death for our sins. God became human so that he could save us. He is our marvelous Savior. So our incarnation means that Jesus is fully God, that Jesus is fully human, and then the last idea is that God is with us. And if you want to write fully down, I love it, God is fully with us. Never a time when God's not with us. He's there fully with us. So I'm going to go to Matthew for just a second and read from Matthew's account uh, that we were just talking about. It says, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the name Emmanuel means God with us. So that's what his title would be. And then uh, I didn't put this verse on your notes. It was in the big section we read from Luke earlier, but you might want to write down Luke 128 here so you can just refer back if you're going to do a study of what we talked about today. Luke 128 says this. The angel speaks to Mary and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. God with us. So what the incarnation teaches us is this, is that God is not far off. That God is close. God is near to us. That God is with us in our suffering. God is with us in our difficulties. God is with us in our struggles. God knows what it's like to be human. We don't ever get to cry out to God and say, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to be in my place. You don't know the challenges that I face. God says back, I do know what it's like to be human. I took on flesh. I am the one who is with you. I am the one who is for you. So God's presence with us, what that represents is it represents God's grace over us. It represents the fact that God graces us. He gives us grace, unmerited favor. He comes and gives us his presence not based upon the fact that, you know what, I did, a, I did, you know, I prayed a lot. I read my Bible a lot. Oh, my word, I gave money to the church. I even told people about Jesus at work. So, God should give me grace. You know what? Grace comes to everyone. Grace is available for anyone who simply turns to him. Grace. We talked about that. We had you underline a couple of times where it says the angel said to Mary that, you're, that God's favor is on you. Well, that word favor could be God's grace is on you. God's grace is there. The angel told Mary that she was not only favored, but she was highly favored. And I'll just say this. This may surprise you. 
may surprise some of you, especially how you may feel about yourself or how you were told, what you were told you were like by someone else, is that God looks at you and God says to you, you are highly favored. You are highly favored. You got to understand that God didn't come to Mary and say she was highly favored because she was sinless. He did not come to her and say she was highly favored because of her works, because of what she had done, because she had all the badges from Sunday school of all the ways that she had measured up in some way. He did not come to say that. That word highly favored that's said about Mary, we look at in the book of Luke, it's only used one other place in the New Testament. It's used in the book of Ephesians. And I wrote it there for you. Ephesians 1, chapter 6. And what this verse talks about is this. It talks about the fact how everyone who is in Christ is favored by God. Everyone who's in Christ is favored by God. Everyone who is in Christ is a recipient of God's grace. You and I are underneath God's shower of grace. And this is what it says. It says, we praise you, God, for the glorious grace, glorious favor that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So everyone who is in Christ is highly favored. So that means that when you read the story and Mary and the angel coming to her is that you just realize that what the angel said about Mary is the same thing that God would say about you when you were in Christ, that you are highly favored. And I just want to say, if you could hear God talk to you every day, in every moment, in every thought, in every action, here's what you would hear God saying. Greetings, favored one. Greetings over the one I have poured my grace on. That's what God says about you and about me, and he says this. He says, I am with you. I am with you. You can walk with me. You can trust that I'm here. I am for you. So with that as an understanding of why the virgin birth is so important and then what the incarnation means to us, I just want to talk about how would I respond to this? How how would I personally respond to this truth in my life? And so I just want to give you three ideas kind of wrap this whole thing and land the jet today. Three ideas is that uh, the first one is, is that based on what I know, I would learn to rest in God's presence. Rest in his presence. First of all, I have to learn to get into his presence, to be with him. But you know what? I don't know about you, but so many times I get in God's presence, I'm still thinking about what I wish I would have done. I'm still thinking about what I did that I wish I hadn't have done. And when I come into his presence, I feel guilt and shame. And so I'm there. I'm thinking, he thinks the same thing about me. I'm forgetting this thing. He's saying to me, you're the favored one. You're the favored one. And so what happens is, is that I can't rest. But it's only in resting in his presence that we get refreshed and that we get to be made new. Now, look at this verse from Luke 135. I had you underline the word overshadow. It says this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, talking about Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, 
the Son of God. Now, that word overshadow that is in the Greek New Testament, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, the same word overshadow here is the same word from the Old Testament that was used to talk about in the moment of the Exodus when God's people had gone out to describe the fact that God's presence would overshadow the tent. God's presence would go with them wherever they went. You can read about it. Acts 40, 30, I mean, Exodus 40, 35. You can read about it. That same word is also used in Psalm 91, 4 and Psalm 17, 8. You can read both of those. They talk about the fact that God brings his people underneath the shadow of his wings, underneath the perfect covering. And so he comes over his people and he shelters them. So when God says to Mary, I've overshadowed you with my spirit, he's saying, I'm so close to you that my shadow covers you. That's how close I am to you. You guys know that when there's a shadow, you can't get away from the object, you know, unless the sun's just right overhead, and then you have to be really, really careful, but you can't get away from the object. So the shadow and the object go together. And God's saying, you're never out from under my perfect covering. I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, yesterday, I went to memorial service up at the airport, and the memorial service was in a, a, a hangar at the airport. And so as we were there, you know, yesterday was pretty warm, right? So we get there, it starts about 11, about 12 o'clock, the wind quit, starts getting really warm. But we're inside a hangar. And I'm thinking about this because they did a flyover. Uh, this is Miles Bostick's service. It was yesterday. They did a flyover. And uh, with some planes, because these are all you know, plane builders. This is a club that's out at the airport. They all build their planes. And so as they were doing this flyover, you know, they have the, you know, the planes all coming at you. And then one plane will peel off to the west, and that signifies the person who's gone. And so we all had to be outside for that. And then saying the national anthem is a great moment. So we're sitting out there. Well, as we're, it didn't last very long, but there's sweat beads. You know, I, I'm feeling the heat. And I'm just thinking, I want to get back into the shade, because in the shade is where it's refreshing. In the shade is where it's comfortable. In the shade is where I can feel like I'm me. And what God is saying to us, he's saying, I want to put my shade over you, because you live in hot times. You live in a time when you're stressed and there's sweat coming. I said, I want you to, I want you to live underneath my shade, the shadow of my presence. So that's the first thing, is I'd rest there. Second thing is this, I need to rely on God's promise. Rely on God's promise, and you might just make that plural because there's more than one. Uh, it's promises, so I'm going to rely on those. And I just love this. And so this is a statement that many of you heard many times. For nothing will be impossible with God. That's a promise, folks. Nothing is impossible with God. I just want to ask this. When the angel came to Mary, do you think that Mary thought that a virgin conception was possible? She already had that plan. She already thought about that. You know, I think it could happen. You think she thought about that? Do you think even when he said it, she thought, yeah, I, I can see how that could happen? <laughs> Folks, it required faith on her part to believe this. See, people tend to laugh 
at followers of Jesus, and they, they point to followers of Jesus, and they kind of snicker under their breath. They believe that virgins have babies. <laughs> no, we don't. We believe that one virgin had a baby. <laughs> because it's impossible. Unless God chooses. And God chose. But when God finds his, you know, when it fits God's purposes, he can do anything he pleases. So the incarnation means for us, folks, and it's something we can grab hold of, is that the promise has become a person. And so I can look to Jesus and what he says to me about God fulfilling his promises in my life. I can place my faith in God because God didn't just make a promise back in Isaiah 7, 14, but he actually delivered with a person in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1. John chapter 1, he delivered with a person. Now, I'll just ask another question, because if we're going to rely on God's promises, well, there's a biggie, like a virgin birth, but then there's also other things that we think God's promised, or we know that God's promised. I just want to say, do you think that Mary knew everything she was saying yes to at this moment? You think, you think she knew that Joseph was going to, what was going to happen with Joseph? She knew all that, that was going to play out? Do you think Mary knew all that at this moment? Do you think that Mary knew what it was going to be like to raise Jesus? Do you think that Mary knew that the son that she was going to bear now would go to a... Do you think Mary knew any of that at this moment? Do you think Mary knew how hard it was actually going to be? I was talking to Kim last night, and I said, wow, parenting is so hard. But do you think Mary knew that? Other than just parenting's hard, I'm sure she knew that, but how hard it was going to be because she had agreed to be the mother of Jesus. No, but I do believe that she trusted that God had called her and that she was going to rely on God to carry out his promises. He had called her and he would carry out his promises. See, Mary accepted the fact that the virgin birth was a mystery and that she would walk forward with God, not having to understand everything, but she would trust him. And they proved to us that the incarnation of virgin birth proved to us that with God, nothing is impossible. And the last is this. I trust in God's plan. So I trust in God's plan. You can trust that God always has a plan. No matter how things look, no matter how things look in your life, no matter how things look with your kids, no matter how things look at work with your career, no matter how things look with your economics, your finances, no matter how things look with your health, no matter how things look with our nation, no matter how things look with our world, no, how, no matter how things look, we have to remember that God has a plan and that we can trust God and his plan. And what we want to do in this area of trust that we're talking about is that we have confidence enough that we can stand firm even though everything feels shaky around me. But not only can I stand firm, but I can act on it. I can act on what God said to me. This is what Mary said. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And I'll just say this to you today. You can trust that God has your best in his heart. You can trust that. That God only has your best intentions at heart. And then... 
what you can do is you can open the door because Mary didn't know everything. Mary didn't know how this was going to happen. Mary knew that she was weak. Mary knew that she couldn't afford what was about to happen financially. Mary knew that this was crazy. But she knew that even with all the weaknesses she had, she knew that she was going to trust God and that she was going to believe him and that she was going to step out and she was going to serve him and that she was going to love others. That's what Mary knew. And I think we have a lot to learn from Mary as we look at her story when she said, I am yours, let it be to me. I am yours, let it be to me. And I say, folks, that can only be stated by someone who's confident in God, who trusts him in every way. In the middle of circumstances that may not make sense, that can only be said by a person who knows that God is with them that God's promise is true, that he's there, that he's our Emmanuel. And what Mary said is in this, I will love and serve you even though I don't have all the answers, even though I know it's going to cost me, even though I know what you're asking me to do seems improbable and impossible. I am yours. I am yours. It goes back to how we closed last week. Jesus is our Lord. That we would say to him, you're God, and I'm not. Direct my path. Show me the way to go. I'm asking you to bow your heads, and let's take a moment to pray. So Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, that conception made him like God. Born of the Virgin Mary, I made him human. God incarnate. He came that we would have relationship with him. And we could turn to him because of what then Jesus did on the cross as God and human. He made it possible for every one of us to enter into relationship with him. That was God's plan. And today, the question would be, do you trust his plan? And I just want to ask you, do you trust that plan? If you've never said yes to Jesus because it just seemed crazy to you, imagine what Mary felt. Would you be willing today with me to say yes to Jesus? To say, Jesus, this seems crazy as much as I understand it. I just want to say today that I believe you are God, that I believe you are human, that I believe you went to the cross for me. Jesus, I needed you to go to the cross because I have sinned. I was born into the sinful race. And so I ask you now, Jesus, because of what you did on the cross, to cleanse me, to make me whole, to forgive me. To renew me, restore me, regenerate me, Jesus. And God, I pray for all of us today, each one of us. We learn more and more what it means to rest in your presence, to rely on your promises, and to trust, trust you. Trust and have confidence in what you say in your word. Lord, May it be to me. May it be to me.
as you say. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.